The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that. Well, with, with, with those kinds of preambles, I think it's going to be a long evening. Yeah, really. <laughs> so it's on us. So it's that time of year where you know we've been talking about how you're you're you know you, it's the time of year when birds got to sing, bees got to fly. I don't know, whatever. Um, I got to be me. You got to be me. Do a good pre-flight because not only will the birds kind of go and build little nests and debris in your <laughs> engine cowling, but they will actually lay eggs in there too. This yes, is this, this, this. You see this story? This is from my my latest favorite aviation blog, the AOPA Pilot Blog, um, where the headline is "Eggs on Your Cylinders," and it shows a picture of the cowling opened up on. I can't quite make out what kind of aircraft this is, but uh, it says it's Comanche. Does it? I didn't. Yeah. See, that's what I, I should read. I was going to say it looks like. I just look at the pictures. I don't know. So it shows a really nice little bird's nest in there with three or four or five uh, eggs in mm-hmm. the. Uh, so you know, you know, not only you yeah, get to go you flying. You can click on it and zoom in on a large, large version of that image, and I, I see four uh-huh. in that nest, and they're. I can't tell if they're robins. They're kind of robin's egg blue, but they're speckled. They have. Uh, some some coloration on the eggshell. Uh-huh. Um, I, I've got a picture similar to that that I, I uh, took of my airplane back when it was on a tie down. Um, yeah, almost identical spot, almost identical uh, nest, et cetera, et cetera. And it took a while, as he says, you know. Um, it t- took. A, you know, uh, I'm grateful that both sides of the cowling uh, can open and uh, yeah, permitting yeah. me it's unlimited nice access. I set the nest aside and, and use compressed air to blow out the remaining twig. Exactly right. Yeah, this exactly was one of the. So that's what it, I was going to ask you. It happened in our Comanche when uh, it was tied down at a remote airport. Well, mm-hmm. it was in a hangar, but it was an open hangar, no doors, uh, for about 10 days years ago and went over to uh, to ferry it over to Dead Cow for some work and uh, opened it up to check the oil. And, oh, lo and behold, yeah, good there's thing. little speckled eggs there in a yeah. real nice nest. When, when I'm in my personal hangar, you know, I, I'll, I, I might not. Now, I'll look in the cowling and, and make sure, you know, there's no... Uh, uh, um, signs, shall we say, and, and I've seen a lot of telltale signs over the years of of birds that having injured the cowling. Um, sometimes there's a, just a small piece of straw on the cooling air inlets or something like that. Sometimes yeah, you'll yeah. see some bird droppings, you know, on the prop. Um, if you see when I'm in my normal hangar, inlets, it's pretty positive. Yeah, when I'm in my normal hangar, I, I probably don't. You know, uh, especially if it's been just a couple of days, I probably don't pop the cowling open. Uh, but when I'm away from home, even when I use cowling plugs, um, there's always you know a nook or cranny that they can get in. They can get in the the cowling flaps, 
uh, the cow flaps, I mean, um, and you know sometimes the the cowing the uh, the cow plugs don't fit all that well um, on the bonanza. So uh, uh, you can easily see a bird sneak in there without a whole lot of trouble. So you really got to check this stuff, especially this time of year. And and hats off to, to Steve for uh, for putting this post up. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it was a habitual thing for me. Both sides of the cow got opened. Uh, yeah. Every pre-flight. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a carryover from my ultralight days when I could climb up and look around and grab the spark plugs on the engine and, you know, touch the oil filter. That and can be, that a, you know, a shocking experience if you do that it wrong. That can be. That can be. <laughs> this it is one sparks a whole new discussion. This is one yeah. of my one of my few complaints about my uh, the flying club, uh, Palo Alto Flying Club that I used to belong to, or West Valley Flying Club, um, that they didn't they discouraged you from opening the cowling during pre flights. Yeah, that's that's stupid. And uh, there was a you know there's a on on the 152s uh, which I flew a lot, and the uh, I believe the Archers were the same way. There was a little you know cover that you could open up to get at the uh, to check the oil and add oil if you needed to. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell a story on myself. Uh, years ago, I was getting my multi. Um, and uh, uh, basically, you know, involved checking out in a Seneca as well as learning how to f- how to fly with you know one turning and one burning. And um, in, in f- after a lesson or two, instructor gives me the keys and you know says, "There's the airplane. Go pre-fly. I'll be I'll be out there in a little while." I said, "All right." He says, "By the way," he says, "Whatever you do, don't." open the nose baggage compartment because it's a hell thing to get closed again. I said, yeah, okay, fine, sure. So I get out to the airplane. What's the first thing I do? I, I open the nose baggage compartment. Yeah. And just, you know, kind of make sure that, you know, <laughs> what's going on with the nose baggage compartment that makes this thing so difficult to close and and um, um, kind of saw what what the, how the mechanism worked and, and all this kind of thing and put it all back together and closed it and locked it and Com- completed the pre-flight and just as I was finishing up the instructor walks up and looks at me and says you had to open the nose baggage compartment didn't you and he was watching me uh, yeah, uh, from, the, from the FBO lounge <laughs> and I was like yeah I had to and he, sees, he goes right checks and says which part of don't do that is it you didn't understand <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I, I have no excuse other than I'm trying to learn about the airplane he says alright let's go fly so uh so now, uh, uh, yeah, getting see, back yeah, to- from me, that would have gotten a good boy. Don't you know? Don't ever take somebody's word for something. Exactly right. I mean, that's exactly. what I when you told when you started the story. I kind of half thought, oh, this is a test. You know, he's trying to convince you to make a mistake. He's trying to trick you into making a mistake. Well, that's part of it too. I said, you know, sorry, guy. You know, I've I'd probably had I, I didn't have any more hours than he did, but I've probably been doing it longer than he had, is uh, chron- chronologically. Uh, yeah, okay, no, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, because that that thing well, does pop open. You got a whole um, you got a whole different airplane on your hands. Still, still this was a, this was a Seneca. This was a Seneca one, which um, with with both engines running isn't all that great an airplane to begin with. Um, uh, it wasn't one, until the Seneca was two, two came one, out that two, they got that two, right. Two hundreds so. on it. Um, the the one has carbureted, I guess injected uh, uh, IO three sixties, but they're not turbocharged. Yeah. They went to the uh, the TSIO three sixty on the Seneca two, which gave them um, um, a couple more horsepower. I think maybe two twenty or two hundred, depending on the version and uh, turbocharger, which kind of transformed the airplane and, and and made it into really what it oh, is today. Flew the but, Seneca uh, five a few years ago. Uh, yeah, right after it came out. 
Uh, I think they were both two tens. Two twenties or two tens? Mooney was using two twenty uh-huh. on an airplane, or I've got it backward. It may be the other way around, but man, you get that puppy up into the middle teens and higher, uh-huh. and for the horsepower, it just goes like spit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, not it, not a lot of fuel for a twin. It, it will f- with with you know just two people in it or something or in or half gas or something, but you you fill the tanks and you start trying to fill the seats, and it'll get up there. But it, it's st- you well, still only got four hundred some odd horsepower the, pulling the all that airframe around. The five huh? improved. The five improved on some of that. In, anyway, they they uh, they made some changes that. Uh, really helped the airplane with the five. I mean, of the ones that they built, it, it was by far the the most capable. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what always attracted me to the airplane was the uh, counter rotating props. No right. critical engine. Uh, it's so good going down the runway when you run the throttles up that I d- damn near ran mine into a ditch on the right side of the runway. <laughs> How? I ask, did you perform that feat? Well, I've, I had flown a Baron uh, about a week and a half before. Uh-huh, so and you... even though they kind of can't the engines to counter that a little bit, uh-huh. uh, you still got to apply a, a fair amount of right foot right. to uh, uh, to work with what on the Baron, so you, I think, is 620 the... horsepower. You anticipating putting right foot in, and all of a sudden, right. about halfway through your your runway excursion, you <laughs> discovered you didn't need to put in right rudder. And Bart Jones, the 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 Piper factory pilot that was flying with me, I, I got it stopped. I got it centered up. I told Tower I was going to try this again. Bart smiles, says, "Don't worry about it, man. You're not the first." And <laughs> he said, "It uh, anybody used to fly in another twin? It, it, it's a little bit of a transition for him to realize that unless there's a crosswind, you can pretty much keep your feet on the floor on takeoff. Yeah, that's right. And that's a weird feeling when you. It is a to, weird feeling. You know, when um, you're used to cranking in a fair amount of rudder to hold the center line. But it, it, but when you're getting your multi though, you kind of make up for it because you get to you get to <laughs> uh, discover the rudder in that airplane. Yeah, uh, which is. Um, one of the things I liked, uh, one of the few things I should say, I liked about the Seneca One. <laughs> We're going to get mail. <laughs> we, we are. <laughs> well, he's still talking about a Seneca One, which was, yeah. you know, not not a barn burner by any means. Okay. No. Uh, was the uh, the rudder trim? There's this huge wheel um, in the console um to the to the left seater's right at the right left seater's right hand if i can if that makes sense yeah yeah um and it's 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 just huge and it's got these notches cut in it you put your your hand on it and your fingers each 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 finger fits in one of those notches and you right. just twist your wrist and you can add rudder trim left to right with that and that's just a lot easier than a lot of some of the other mechanisms I've seen in, in different airplanes yeah, to, yeah. to add uh, other trims. So. And it's nice, too, when you're in a cruise yeah. climb to be able to just... Oh, yeah. Well, of course, you don't need to do it in a cruise climb because you still have your feet flat on the floor. On a Seneca, it's going to be crossed somewhere. Well. What? So have you found any other odd things under the cowling during preflight? What... Uh uh, Bird stuff I have is found, obvious, obviously. I've I mean, found tools. Yeah, okay. Did, did uh, you leave them there, or did your mechanic leave them there? I, um, I'm i not going to answer that question. 
found the beginnings of a wasp nest. Okay, yeah. Uh, which, uh, you know, uh, wasps and bees and me are a little bit like snakes in Indiana Jones. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, I've got an allergy, first off. And I don't know how bad it is because it's been I've been so good about not getting stung for such a long time I haven't had to face it. Right. Uh, but the last time it happened, I was in an ultralight at Sun and Fun with about 110 other airplanes in the pattern, and it didn't come at a good time, and the reaction was bad enough to freak me out. But so we found this wasp nest starting. It was like only four or five little uh, cells in that paper mache nest that they build. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And uh, the the bug wasn't there, and we uh, plucked it out, set it on fire, put it in the trash, uh, dropped a brick on it, uh, (laughs) and then ran. And then sprayed the underside of a cow with a a wasp killer, Mm -hmm. uh, and went in and had a cup of coffee and waited about an hour. We were waiting on weather anyway. Right. So let the fumes evaporate and button the airplane up and never saw one again. Yeah. Hmm. My but it was first, the, it was the same way. The airplane had only been there about three days. Yeah. My very first primary instructor liked to leave little treasures for me. Pre-flight. <laughs> you know, it's like he'd leave he'd leave a it's rag. It's kind of like a rabbit I used to have. But go ahead. Yeah. He'd, well, maybe Noel. No. Okay. Uh, but he, you know, like there'd be a little rag in the in, in you know. So you'd look in the in the cowling mm-hmm. openings and and you'd could if you looked right you could see it you know or or he'd leave you know things in the cockpit out of place or whatever and uh, that was that was all you know it's all practical you know experience for doing the pre-flight to find these things and uh, i always wondered what would happen if he forgot to tell me to check that right. i saw the thing <laughs> um, but uh, as near as i can tell i always found the things that he was looking that he had planted for me so anyways oh uh, well I, I know an instructor that would do little things like uh offer to help you untie the airplane yeah i'll get the tail he'd say yeah. yeah, and then he didn't, and you tried and to he, taxi. <laughs> he didn't, and it, you would catch it if you did the walk around right. Right. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But if you didn't do the walk around right, yeah, you're correct. You start the airplane, and <laughs> and he's Damn, just boy, it's taking there. a lot of power to taxi today. You sure the brakes are off? <laughs> I uh, years ago when I was working a line at the local airport, um, um, the owner and his wife were there. And a thunderstorm uh, was moving in. So I'm working a line. Uh, I'm the line guy. And, and the, the FBO owner's wife says, don't you think you ought to run outside and, and make sure all these airplanes are tied down before uh, um, that the storm here hits? And I say, yeah, that's a pretty good idea. So I ran out and, and uh, tied down everything that was on the line, and uh, one of which was uh, the owner's Cherokee 6. And went back inside. And um, uh, thunderstorm came, and you know it rained, and and, and all that kind of thing. And uh, about about an hour or so later, it, you know it cleared up, and and FBO owner he, he owned that FBO and, and owned another FBO at a field about twenty miles away, and he had to um, fly over to the other field. So he walks out, hops in the airplane, fires it up, taxis about six inches, and wham. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's good. It was only six inches. If he'd gone a couple of yeah. feet, it might have hurt something. I, I'm watching. You know, like 
I'm just laughing my ass off. <laughs> so you yeah. felt relatively secure in your job. I, well, you know, well, on the, I, I didn't. I didn't really care. You know, <laughs> it was on, on, on the opposite side of that, we were in a city that that's, I'm not going to mention now. It's been a long time downstream, and they they did their penance. But <laughs> at, at a really really busy towered GA airport in a mega urban area. And was down. It was there visiting some friends, and uh, we were uh, getting ready to go out to dinner. And our host turned on weather and went, "Woo! We better move quick. Look at that storm coming, and the restaurant we're going to is, and you know, we got to go toward the storm. So let's beat the storm, and then we can eat while the storm goes through." Uh, yeah, I'm going to call the FBO real quick. Call the FBO. Nice young lady at the desk. I said, you know, I don't know if you guys have noticed because I know how busy you get, but uh, you you got level four, level five weather coming through there. It's going to hit there in about an hour. And just wanted to make sure that my airplane was tied down because you guys said you might have to move it. Because no problem, Mr. Higdon, I'll send somebody out there right now. She gets on the intercom and talks to the line chief, and the line chief says, oh, yeah, we'll go out and check all of them. We get out there the next day to leave, and the tail has never been tied. Mm. My airplane, the airplane next to it, and the airplane next to that. And all of them are sitting fairly crooked. And how much they moved before the wing tie-downs took up the slack. And we'd only had the airplane out of major repair about six weeks. It had been down for several months. And headed back for six weeks and just beginning to enjoy all the new stuff that we did to it. And, and, and it could have flipped over on its back with no tail down. Yeah. Because the tail was right into the wind. Just had a terrible time keeping my voice in register and my blood pressure below, you know, ballistic level. And went in and left a note on a business card for the manager. And the manager called the next morning. We were back here in Wichita and said, um, we saw your note, and uh, uh, we're really sorry about that. And that's going to be the first thing on this morning's staff meeting. And somebody is going to be going through some uh, retraining and taking a, a position change. And we appreciate you pointing this out. How's a X percent discount on your fuel for the duration of when you come in here and I run the place? Whoa. Yeah, that my, my my feelings exactly. I was ready to make my next visit. There, there were other options on that airport, right. other FBOs. Right. And stuck with them from then on, and, you know, it was like I pulled in in a Falcon or a Gulfstream every time I showed up after that for the next <laughs> five or six years. I had an episode like that at, a, at a, an, an airport, an FBO I won't name either. Um, I flew in. um Tied down the airplane. Um, oh, I remember what it was. Flew in, uh, unloaded the airplane. You know, here I am, you know, five hours in the airplane. I get out of the airplane. Um, I leave my stuff in. I said, you know, I'm going to walk in. I'm going to hit the head. There's two line guys standing there. Said, Can we put the airplane away for you? No. I'm going to go inside and hit the head. Then I'll come back and I'll unload it and, and I'll secure the airplane. And then you can put it away. And I left the door, cabin door. Uh, uh, open, and I walk inside and and you know kind of stretch my legs and and use the facilities and and stroll back outside just in time to see them towing my airplane <laughs> off of the ramp with the the cabin door still standing wide open. Oh man! And I still didn't have my stuff out of it. 
Okay. And I'm like, guys, I, I waved him down. I said, guys, what are we doing? You know? And, oh, yeah, all right. We yeah. thought we'd just move it anyway. Just stop. Okay. And let me get my stuff out of it. Let me secure the airplane, like, you know, locking the door and uh, this kind of thing. And then you can put it away. Is there a huge rush here? You know? And uh, did all that and, and uh, got my rental car and, and went off my merry way and did my business for however many days it was. Came back. And I had even I should fill out the rest of the story. I had I had uh, uh, also had just went ahead and helped them tie it down, so I you know knew it was secured. <laughs> After this, at this stage of the game, I figured you know I might as well you know see about building a hangar here because these guys aren't really all that up to speed. <laughs> so uh, uh, got the airplane secured. It was tied down. It's where I wanted. Everything's hunky and dory, and I leave the airport. I come back several days later. And, uh, you know, pay my fuel bill, pay my tie-down bill, grab my stuff, start schlepping out the front door, out onto the ramp where the airplane had been tied down, and it's no longer there. Ooh, okay. I said, oh, okay. Well, I start looking around. Wait a second. It's not anywhere. I don't see it. I think I remember So I schlep all my stuff back into the FBO building. And walk, you know, put it beside the front door and walk back up to the counter and say, excuse me. Oh, yes. What, what can we do to help you? So, where's my airplane? <laughs> yeah. What's your end number again? And, and we, you know, we couldn't even get the end number correct between the front desk and the line guy <laughs> on the walk talking. You know, it's like. I remember this. I remember this. So, okay. And then, and then they couldn't find your airplane. Then they couldn't find the airplane. <laughs> I do remember this. <laughs> So what happened? Well, they took them 30 minutes. Yeah. And where was it? They lost track of where they'd put it. They found the bloody airplane by sending people cruising up and down the aisles. How many places do they have to put it? Well, that was a good question, Jack. (laughs) I I never got a straight answer. I don't know if they'd stuck it in a hangar somewhere. It, it was you didn't not, notice it? It was that airplane on the pedestal out front. It was when you not, pulled yeah, in. exactly. <laughs> it was not on the ramp. Did you te- check the Hobbs meter when you got back in? <laughs> I was thinking, you know, someone had stolen it, and it's now doing double duty in Columbia or yeah, something. Really. You know? And I'm thinking, well, at least I'll get full hull value out of it. And, and uh, you know, this kind of thing. And I, was, I had seriously had those thoughts. And they come taxiing, sure. you know, they come they come rolling up with the thing on the end of a tractor. And I'm like, guys, where was it? And he starts giving me the song and I says, look, I don't want to hear it. You know, and and, and I got the... And uh, I will be back here again soon. Yeah, and uh, I will be mark back. Mark your calendar when yeah. hell freezes over. I had a flip well, side home, to that. I got on the, I, I researched, uh, I got got on the phone and basically called and talked to the to the manager I said this is nuts and he says yeah you're right he says and they like like your episode dave they sent me a little uh um piece of paper that said you know you get you know whatever percentage off of the of the pump price on on the, your next uh abgas purchases and not long after that coinky dinky um the, of course the fbo went out of business yeah uh, so or traded hands or something like that. So I, it was just a, a circle jerk the whole way around. Yeah. Um, well, I had um, a flip side sort of experience. Yeah, a good one. No. Oh. Oh. Okay. <laughs> where where flew through. We've talked about on the podcast my little experience back in two thousand one when trying to be helpful 
approach controller steered me in a direction that wound up being level four weather. Right. I didn't know it was level four at the time. Uh, I was too frightened for my life. <laughs> That's right. uh, trying to keep the airplane upright. When I finally got to my destination, I went to their DTN machine, which let me play back the last hour. Hmm. And it happened to show that part of the country. And it was like, oh, my God, I came through that and lived? I'm not sure yeah. if I should tell anybody. Yeah. Uh, you, you kind of feel sheepish and, you know, and almost ashamed sometimes. And, and, and a little nauseous. Uh, yeah, and I wasn't sure if that was nauseous from how close I could have, uh, how close I came, or nauseous from the lingering effect of the uh, the, the uh, cork in a in, in a in, in a clothes washer. Probably a little bit of both. Uh, anyway, got there, and like you, after the the the, the twenty five minutes we spent in that weather, and twenty five minutes getting to the destination, uh, had to hit the head badly. Uh, as much to throw up as anything else. Uh, came out, filled out the card, went out to the kid that uh, uh, was sitting on uh, the bench out in front of the FBO having a cigarette. Said, you know, when you, when you just don't fuel it today, and when you t- pull it around on a parking pad, they had a special transient area for, for folks like me. Said, be sure you tie it really well, because in a few hours, there's going to be this huge storm come through here. And it's, I just flew through it. It's an ass kicker. And I left and met up with my buddy Tom and, and some friends of his. And we went to a nice dinner over on Bargstown Road in Louisville, really upscale restaurant. And while we're having dinner, the storm gets there. And we watched a dumpster go down the street. <laughs> <laughs> kid you not, kid you not, on it, on, you know. The second time in my life I've seen that, and both times I, you know, got had close encounters with weather. The first one, the close encounter was I got close enough to know I'm not going there, right. and landed and stayed the night. Oh, uh, second time I I got through it, not because that was my idea, and then landed, told him, and then was in a nice restaurant when the dumpster goes down the street, and the rain's horizontal. And the light show beats anything I ever saw during Ingata de Vida. And <laughs> we decided to go to the bar and have a couple of drinks after dinner and wait out the storm. And t- my buddy Tom's going, you flew through this bleep? Uh, yeah, man. He said, what were you thinking? Said, uh, let's not go there. Go out the next morning. I'm doing a little special Young Eagles ride for my high school best friend's son. And... It's going to be IFR, and I'm not sure he wants to do it because it's not going to be any fun. And I get out there, and there's my airplane, exactly where I left it, except downwind, about 18 or 20 feet, mm-hmm. and about 30-degree different angle. And where the f- chalks were, the chalks still were. <laughs> Man. They never tied the bloody thing down. Yeah. That day, we weren't able to control the near ballistic and, and so forth. And it happened that the same guy that I'd talked to point blank the night before, huge storm, tied down good, mm-hmm. went in. And he was just coming on duty in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. And, oh, man, I was not, I, I was rude. 
Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I was really rude, and you're, the manager and you're justified. came down. You're justified in being rude. The funny I'm thing sorry. was, it, you know, the 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 manager of the FBO said, "Wow, uh, you shouldn't have gone through this. Uh, we're we're, we're going to take care of it." And I found out later they fired the guy. Yeah. Which you know, but nobody ever said we're really sorry. Nobody ever said. Wow, this was really bad. It's not representative of us. They just said, you shouldn't have gone through this, and we'll fix it. And they fired the guy. Mm -hmm. Had two subsequent incidents with the same FBO that made me later question what took me so long to stop going there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, listen, before we reach the end of our allotted time. <laughs> you might want to watch this thing, maybe. <laughs> say, no. welcome. Why folks. would you do that now? <laughs> episode number 84 of Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. We're recording 84? 84. We're recording this episode on uh, Thursday evening, May 29th, 2008. And we don't feel a day over 60. That's right. <laughs> let me, say hi, let me oh. say hi to my friends here in the virtual hangar. One of those voices is Dave Higdon. Dave's joining us from Wichita, Kansas. Hi, Dave. How you doing, folks? Hey, so you, it's been tornado weather out there, huh? How how are you guys doing there in Wichita? Well, we've been uh, we've been really fortunate. Yeah. Uh, Kansas to the west of us uh, over the three days. Well, make it four days, starting ahead of the holiday weekend. Uh, just had a s- series of powerful. Not too big, not on the ground too long tornadoes mm-hmm. that fortunately mostly happened out in pretty much unoccup- unoccupied areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it did blow some folks off a road in a car and kill them in the process. Mm-hmm. Happened at night. Yeah. Uh, it took some other people off the road and they lived. And they were, you know, maybe a quarter of a mile apart right. uh, in their experiences. A uh, little town of Greensburg, Kansas, that got about 90% eliminated last year, just barely got missed uh, really? the other night. Really yeah. interesting story about that town. Apparently, they're rebuilding it, um, no pun intended, as a green town. They're apparently yeah, 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 very, very rebuilding, very, very using environmentally a lot of, conscious, yes. yeah, a renewable energy and the whole thing. It's kind of an interesting experiment and. Uh, so well, anyway. they had an opportunity to do it from scratch. Yeah, sure. uh, you know, it's probably not something that they would have volunteered for otherwise. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That other voice here in the virtual hangar is Jeb Burnside. Jeb's talking to us from uh, sunny Sarasota, Florida. Sunny is it? Is it still humid, hot, and humid down there? No, all sunny. that cleared out. We've yeah. had a couple just really magnificent days. Has it been nice down there? Yeah. yeah. Uh, does do you get the afternoon thunderstorms down there all year round, or is it just no. a certain time of year? In the in the dead of summer, we get the afternoon thunderstorms down here. We haven't had rain in a couple of weeks. We had a, just a frog strangler the last time uh, <laughs> came through, um, and um, it rained for I don't know four or five hours. Big thunderstorm, just very slow moving. Dumped a lot of water, and that's the last rain we've had. And as I say, that's been a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, but. Um, earlier this week, it was just positively delightful. Um, you know, strong sun, but low humidity, a breeze, and uh, it's hot in the sun, but you walk out of the sun and just get into some shade. Maybe a, uh, a puffy cloud goes over and, and uh, cools off immediately, and it's just, it's, it's just everything you could want. That's it, right. It's just it's just been great. Yeah. We had Come on a four-day spell where we were drowning uh, uh, moles here. <laughs> Uh, and uh, and I mean that literally. Uh, we had about 
seven inches of rain over a three-day period. Mm-hmm. And the storms, because of the way they were cooking up out west in the afternoon and the speed at which they moved east-northeast, uh, we were pretty reliably getting them after 10 and no later than yeah. 2 a.m. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Well, that thing last week down here, it was just, you know, just one of those freak weather patterns. There was a, a front north of here that stalled out, and was, the air here just was getting, uh, just wasn't changing. And it was just humid and yeah. and sticky and whatever. But uh, that's all, that's that's nothing but a bad memory now. That's right. I thought I was going to be going down to uh, South Carolina and Georgia, Greenville huh? and, uh, and uh, I believe, Charleston. I mean, no, Georgia. Neither, neither of which is in Georgia. Yeah. Uh, 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 Savannah? Maybe Savannah. Savannah. Savannah, yeah. Savannah. Uh, anyways, I, um, I was looking forward to that, actually. But uh, looks Sa- like that. Savannah's a nice little town. That's I what I've heard. Charlie, Charlie South also. So Yeah. So, uh, But it looks like that trip got canceled. So I get to oh. spend next week hunting for an apartment and trying to. Well, if, you're, if you're ever, you know, Savannah's certainly within range. Charlie South, too. Um, keep me, let me know give me some advance warning if you're going to do something like that i can pop up for an overnight or something cool we'll do that yeah and i am and you are i am jack i just ended up there in boston massachusetts where we're just having a relatively normal late spring and uh um we had some well see i can't even i can't compete with tornadoes and and uh and frog strength no or shoot me you don't want to yeah so uh it's just nice weather up here. I'm back from my trip to Philadelphia. I'm home for a couple of weeks. I'm going to Las Vegas in a couple of weeks. That'll be kind of interesting. Ooh. Do the podcast from Las Vegas. and uh, I don't know what that will be like. Anyways. Oh, but <laughs> just spent five days out there a couple yeah. of weeks ago. He, he was yeah. real happy to be there. I haven't been to Las Vegas, and uh, we really got to get back to aviation stuff. People are going to start sending us mail. Um, I haven't been to Las Vegas in about eight or nine years i i like going once or twice a year i i think it's i love the glitz i like the glitter and the energy i i've 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 just never it's just never been one of my favorite places yeah. i'm sorry yeah. you know, no. too, too I much always glitz. have a good time there yep oh well, i always have a good time Work. it's just Work. but i'm always happy to leave that's right Speaking of people traveling around the country and having fun, um, our buddy Steve Tupper, a.k.a. Stephen Force of the Airspeed Podcast, um, just recently finished something that he had teased us about some time ago. He went down to, I believe it's in Georgia, and got his DC-3 second-in-command rating. And uh, it sounds very, very cool. He's done. Uh, he's posted a bunch of entries on his blog about it and uh, has so far published two episodes of the podcast, getting through the, the first day of, I believe, a three-day program and uh, uh very very exciting to to hear about that that adventure he's uh you know and and as you might imagine he's kind of giddy with the excitement of the whole thing oh and, uh, yeah well and and if i believe i've got this correct he also got his multi-engine in he got his multi-engine I mean, prior to that and he'd gotten he his did instrument it? Okay, okay he got his instrument prior to that i think and uh he's just really going you know full bore well, on, on D- the radio dc3 checkout should also be a typewriting should it not yes that could exactly. be. I, I, I you yeah. know, quite frankly, I'm, I'm weak be, on all that terminology. What's a, a, well, a rating and a type rating and a, you know, all that kind of stuff. Got his type rating as S second in command because. Uh, oh, okay. Well, okay. That's a, that's different then because you know yeah. uh, you only have yeah that that would not be a type rating. Never mind. I'll no, shut up. It's a, he, he's he's qualified as SIC and he got uh, at least that's what his email to me explained. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he did do all of his. Uh, he he did do the. The multi-engine course in the DC-3. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and, did he? Okay. 
yeah qualified as that yeah. so, so uh, and and he he said he tells in, the, in his blog that he was uh, so, uh, so like on day two of his training um, they they said that uh, a writer from plane and pilot was going to be by to uh, to do some interviews and talk to people because they were doing a story about this whole operation and that writer turned out to be none other than our own James Winbrandt uh, who uh, wandered in and apparently got some stick time or yoke time uh, in the DC3 and uh, um, and uh, you know even if he didn't get to fly the airplane uh, uh, Steve just, Tupper just riding in a DC three. Well, just riding. Um, yeah. But yeah. Uh, J- uh, Steve also took a picture of James um, sitting uh, in the left seat, sticking his head out the window. You know, they were kind of on the ground, obviously. And uh, and James is just sitting there, looking real cool, leaning out the uh, the left window of the uh, of the DC three. So oh yeah, need to stick your left hand out and spin, stick it straight up and spin it around like that's right. you're firing up those engines. That's right, crank them up, crank them up. So uh, check out uh, the Airspeed Online podcast uh, and his blog uh, airspeedonline.blogspot.com I'm pretty sure is the URL and uh, read about his adventure that's uh, I'm I'm more than a little jealous and uh, it's, yeah. it's yeah. cool stuff we were trying to get James on the podcast tonight in the virtual hangar but uh, he's traveling he's apparently in Canada for some reason and uh, um, yeah him and our old buddy James Lawrence is that what it is uh, J- uh, uh, James you know I mean like you guys he really takes advantage of his airplane and just is all over the country for work and pleasure and whatnot so uh, um, we're hoping he'll what join the us. Wright brothers invented him for, man. That's right. We're Try hoping it. James will join us next week and maybe give us a first-person report about this whole DC3 thing. DC3 thing. That would be cool. It's easy for you to say. That's right. That's right. That's right. So, so let's see now. Uh, Minnesota. Coming back to aviation again. Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Minnesota has apparently raided the aviation, I don't know if it's the trust fund or it's some, some sort of aviation tax fund. Uh, in order to balance the general budget uh, in the state of Minnesota, and and this is just just quite disturbing. Let's see if I can read. This is from a story in AOPA Online website. This uh, is just bad. Read the first paragraph. Minnesota Governor Tim Pawlenty, I believe is how you pronounce it, uh, and state lawmakers cut a last-minute deal that would empty the state empty the state's aeronautics fund to help fill a one billion dollar budget cap. Um, AOPA is asking the governor to reverse the decision and find a solution that does not place such a heavy burden on aviation. So, you know, I mean, this just sucks so many different ways. Um, I thought these funds were were protected. Not I, really. I guess not. You know? It varies from state to state, first of all. Yeah. yeah. Um, secondly, uh, even at the federal level, um, ostensibly... The, the user f- fees, I'm going to call them that, user taxes that we pay now uh, through uh, Avgas, Jet Fuel, uh, whatever else, Airline uh, ticket, are, are definitely tax. accounted for uh, by the Treasury Department, by the federal government, as a separate uh, account that's called the Airport and Airways Trust Fund. And the monies uh, go into the trust fund, um, they accrue interest. Uh, just as, as, say, a passbook savings account or a, a money market account would, um, and that interest is is funneled back into the airport and airway trust fund. And then when a new runway is built or a new air traffic control tower is built or something like that, um, the monies, uh, some many, much of the money uh, uh, f- to support that infrastructure comes from the airport and airway trust fund. Often there's a local matching. Uh, amount that the state and or the um, local community, the local airport authority puts up. The money we're talking about here would be the the state of Minnesota's share 
of a federal uh, airport grant or a federal air traffic control facility grant uh, that would be built within the state of Minnesota. So that matching money has to come from somewhere. And, well, and that's and, basically and, what and we're that, talking about here. Yeah, and now, it doesn't sound like a lot. The 15 million is nothing. 15 million that they're talking about here doesn't right. sound like a lot until you look at the impact, what it leverages. It leverages more than 10 times that amount in grants that the state could get from the federal government for projects that are needed for the airports exactly right. there. And MSP, uh, you know, I was looking at some tickets for a particular trip coming up later this year and trying really hard to get one that routes me through MSP because it's more direct and it avoids Chicago. And, uh, you know, MSP is still one of the five busiest or ten busiest airports in the country, yeah. airline traffic-wise, because of Northwest. Uh, some of the GA airports there in Minnesota. Uh, there, isn't there a little airplane company up in Duluth? In Duluth, I, Minnesota? You know, I think there is. I'd have to research that. Aren't they, like, selling, the, you know, the biggest – don't they have the biggest-selling model in one particular area? Single and, model, yeah. Yeah, so they're gonna so. they're, they're gonna chintz fifteen million, and lose eligibility for a hundred and sixty million. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry, but it, you know if you call in that fiscally responsible, uh, you've been running your head up against a board fence too often. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, this is fifteen slatted. million, which is um, what fifteen percent? And no, it's not even fifteen percent. It's one point five percent of the billion-dollar shortfall that apparently the Minnesota government has this year. Exactly. Um, so it's, it's, it's literally a drop in the bucket. But getting back to Jack's original question, which is, aren't these funds protected? Well, again, it varies from state to state. Even at the federal level, once all this money is sent in and accounted for and everything like that, lately it's all been going to Iraq. Uh, and if you look yeah, at that account, it's getting IOUs. So, because if you look uh, at it, it's a shell game. What they called but, an, an uncommitted surplus. The uncommitted uh, surplus is how much the trust fund is committed, or has collected. I'm sorry, collected, uh, and you subtract how much has been committed, uh, and you have money left over. And what are they doing with the money? They're borrowing it to use in the general fund to make the deficit look smaller, to fund other things. As Jim said, you could say that here lately, the uncommitted surplus has been going to the sandbox. Uh, it's uh, well, Supposedly, we get interest on that, but I'd be more interested in seeing them actually use the money, particularly since the FAA and the White House have been out there crying poverty in terms of funding the next generation air traffic control system well, it was, to have it was, any un, uncommitted balance to me smacks as hypocritical. Yeah, it is. It is hypocritical. And I, I, I saw a big blurb here. It was the Washington Post this week had an editorial uh, decrying the uh, the Senate's lack of uh, the Senate's uh, stalemate on on uh, moving forward on on FAA legislation and talking about how we need to to fund the FAA's national airspace um, modernization program so that we can have quote a GPS based air traffic control system and I'm like uh, excuse me. Um, last time I flew somewhere, I used GPS pretty much exclusively. Don't we kind of sort of already have one of those? 
you know, and that, that, why that hasn't the Washington Post me. been able to figure this out yet? So well, then, and don't I, get don't, I, I don't want to I don't want to go down that path. But well, but, let's uh, let's let's roll it back to the more fundamental level. Yeah. Why hasn't the FAA really figured out that we got a GPS-based air traffic? <laughs> well, I'm sorry. Yeah. You know, it comes into the same heading as why is the FAA like a 737? Uh, right. The uh, you know the, the the fact is that they could be making far more use of GPS, uh, and we know that they've made some incremental gains here. Hang on a second. Uh, hang on a second. Hang on a second. Hang on a second. Now, all right. Before we go any further, Dave, yeah, please tell me. Why is the FAA like a 737? <laughs> well, we really can't say this is as true as it used to be, but at one point, because it rolled over for no apparent reason. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. We're going to move on. We're going to move now, on. There's, there's one thing here also, and, we, we, and uh, for our listeners, uh, Jack and, and, and Dave and I were kind of playing around via email earlier in the day. Um, came across a press release. From the Department of Transportation, okay, and this this press release. Let me go find it here real quick. I, I don't please have it on. Do, please, um, I'll go. I'll go to the uh, um, DOT website here real quick. But basically, ah, I may still have it in my. Uh, it's uh, uh, trash. Uh, Department of Transportation, uh, Secretary Peters. Is it? Yeah, here it is. Um, has a, uh, a press release out. Talking about, uh, here we are. Yes, here we are. U.S. Secretary of Transportation Mary E. Peters and the Director General of Iraq's Civil Aviation Authority designate today Baghdad's first certified air traffic controllers. Since. Um, since who knows when. They never uh, said that, but that's got to be here, in here somewhere. Right. It, it, it's know, not. It's if, not in the release. memory serves. They had certified aircraft. Control. Yeah, didn't they? They had they had, a, they had a viable they yeah. had a viable civil aviation industry over there yeah. uh, before it was surreptitiously Maybe interrupted. Maybe not vibrant, but viable. Well, vi- viable anyway. They had a they had a uh, state carrier, and then I'm sure they, they had, had some general aviation. Some towers might have been just a helicopters, but I'm sure they had it. Um, and you know, she. <laughs> this, excuse me. For, forget the, the the international politics here. Forget forget even the domestic politics uh, involving Iraq. Why does the Secretary of Transportation need to go to Iraq? Um, and we're only talking about three. Count them: one, two, three, controllers, three controllers in Baghdad who were wow. certified. When now, you sent me that, I went looking for art on the internet. I was really, really curious whether I was going to come across a a, a, a photograph of Madam Secretary, Mister Acting Administrator of the FAA, the three new controllers, and a banner that says "Mission accomplished." Mission accomplished. Thank you. <laughs> oh, oh, you you're going to burn in hell for that one. <laughs> I will see a lot of friends. <laughs> okay. All right. But we're going to finish the you got to finish the here, got to move punch, on here. Was, here's the punchline here before we, before we move on, and we should move on. But why do, why do we sending <laughs> the Secretary of Transportation to Baghdad to uh, usher in the certification of three, count them, one, two, three, air traffic controllers, when Minnesota – is raiding its aviation trust fund 
to pay down its own general budget. There's something fundamentally askew here. We've missed a few. Uh, we've we've missed a few priorities in the uh, process. It's obvious that this up. airframe. This it's obvious this airframe is mu- missing a few rivets somewhere. Yeah. No, I bet if you checked, you'd discover that it's an election year. I've heard in, that in but, Iraq. Well, in the, the guy States, she, the, the guy that she works for isn't eligible. Yeah, well, anyways, let's not... Oh, of course, we're gonna, wait a minute. No, wait a minute. No, 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 here we go. We're moving on, we're moving on, we're moving on, we're moving on. All right, here we go. So one Chicken. of you guys one of you guys pointed this out. This is cool. If you if you need a new airplane or yet or another airplane, this could be the one for you. Discovered a uh, for sale, a 1929 Ford trimotor. Uh, yeah. Wouldn't yeah. that be cool? Wouldn't that be cool? We'll put a link in our show notes to this, but yeah. there's just really, this is for sale... Um, uh, the, the the history it's it's been in the uh, uh, Virginia okay. Aviation Museum in Richmond. Let, let, let's put it for real quick in, the, in a trade plane format. It's for sale, nineteen twenty nine <laughs> Ford trimotor, low time, in, in fresh engines, no damage history. No reasonable offer refused. That's right. That's right. That's right. But I like what Jeb was about to refer to. Tell us. Tell us about the, some of the some of its history. Well, the, the airplane's been in the Virginia Aviation Museum for for uh, several years. Apparently, it just came out. Um, it was on the the March two thousand six cover of uh, Trade a Plane to to work that in. It's presently hangered at the uh, Petersburg Dinwiddie County Airport in Central Virginia. Uh, you can pop in there and call ahead, and, and they'll show it to you if you're if you. I'm sure you know they'd like to make sure that you're a viable candidate for buying it. Um, uh, but it's 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 operational. It's been uh, uh, fully restored, as it were. Uh, there's a set of, of very interesting, very detailed, very good uh, photos uh, of the airplane uh, on this website. You'll see um, them at the link. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just a very interesting piece, and uh, I, love, uh, I love the history of this. Yeah, the thing I yeah. find particularly intriguing. So let me just read a little bit of this here. So it, in 1929, it was first delivered as a passenger plane for the Mamer or Mamer Flying Service in Spokane, Washington. It was later sold to KT Flying Service of Honolulu, and it was actually at Pearl Harbor on December 7th, 1941. Right. Uh, it came back to the mainland in 1946. And was then leased to TWA for their 1949 20th anniversary celebration. It then went on to become an, an ag uh, agricultural operator in Idaho. It became a sprayer and a uh, and a firefighting aircraft. And that's uh, a sight I want to see. I'd love to see. motor flying yeah. low, spraying a field. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then, or as a forest fighting air tanker, which it apparently served as it was at yeah. one. Yeah. Point. So, so it's just that's it's what a what a you know just this particular aircraft, let alone the the, the make yeah. and you know the great history yeah. of of the the aircraft in general. Um, one of the shots, one of the photos on this website, is a close up of of some of the instrument panel details, and one one photo in particular, I just thoroughly got a kick out of. It's the airspeed indicator. Yeah. yeah. The airspeed indicator, the yellow arc, it's got a yellow arc that goes uh, from, um, let's see, this is uh, miles an hour on the outer scale. So from 90 miles an hour down to about 57 miles an hour is a yellow arc. There's a green arc from 90 miles an hour to 110 miles an hour. Okay. So you got a a 20 mile an hour green arc on the airspeed indicator. And then the, the upper yellow arc 
is from 110 to 130, and the red line is 130 miles per hour. Um, I taxi faster than that. <laughs> I was going to say, but you know, here's the other here's the other great thing about an LSA. this photo. If you look at this airspeed indicator very closely, right around the the 80 mile an hour mark, there's there's like a little hash mark that's that's been either painted on the glass or that is on the the face of the airspeed indicator, and it. it this just goes to show a lot of people have said over the years the 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 Ford tri motor it takes off at eighty it cruises at eighty and it lands at eighty and lo and behold <laughs> on this airspeed indicator there's a hash mark at eighty miles an hour miles so an hour. I, yeah and it's it's just a very interesting piece um, the the close up of the of the instrument panel and the controls and and the yokes on this thing are basically look the like uh, model A steering wheels they are completely yeah. round. They are made out of wood. Um, it's just a, a very interesting piece. Well, and to keep the little lady happy, there's even a potty in the back. And a sink. Yeah. Yeah, but and I a mean, sink. You, this, this, these are the kind of numbers that would make a buyer salivate. Total yeah. airframe time, 3,102 hours. Yeah. This is an 80-year-old airplane, folks. It's only got 3,000 hours, 3,100 hours. Uh, total time on the three right whirlwind engines and props is just 48 hours since major overhaul. No accident history. And I believe when I get down to the end here, there's some performance numbers. Uh, you're basically looking at about 60 gallons an hour at cruise. Yeah. Yeah, there's a there's a, a data plate, uh, which again is just a great photo of. It shows the empty weight of the airplane at 6,500 pounds, the allowable load, et cetera, fuel capacity 231 gallons. I'll let you folks do the math on how much it would cost to fill it up. Oil capacity, oil, oil capacity, capacity, right. 30 <laughs> gallons because these are boys and girls radial engines. That's um, 10 per mil. Cruises at, at, at the cruising fuel flow is sixty gallons per hour. Uh, maximum speed one hundred and thirty miles an hour. Cruising speed one hundred and ten miles an hour. Okay, they made me a liar. Um, and the service ceiling is fourteen thousand five hundred feet. Yeah, uh, that's now, that's just it, here's a serial number. The the, the date of manufacture. The date of manufacture is January 15, 1929. Yeah, and, and the only tough. way this this airplane could continue to earn its keep as it did in its youth would be with a waiver from the FAA because, well, I guess you could do the local charter thing. Yeah. Because there's no way the equipment's going to come up because the equipment is exactly original per the Uh 1929 spec. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But I I get such a kick out of this on the data plate, and it's elsewhere on the airplane. The airplane was not a product of the Ford Motor Company. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. It was a product of the Stout Metal Airplane Company, which was a division of Ford Motor that's Company right, in Detroit. Right. Yeah. Now and I'm this not bird seeing, is serial number fifty-five. I'm not seeing anywhere in this stuff uh, what the price might be. What what kind what would this kind of thing no, go for? It's no price. I would say if you can at least pony up a million, you might as well just walk away because mm-hmm. uh, this is basically a one of a kind airplane. Yeah. Well, and it's uh, pristine. And, I mean, yeah. I would yeah and that's it the other thing it. about it. It, it is very clean. I mean, uh, the, the cockpit picture, okay, again, you know, you got this very sparse instrument panel. you got these two Model A steering wheels. 
um, you got a uh, throttle and, and engine control console, and then sticking up out of the floor looks like something out of a 32 deuce coupe in a, a gear shifter <laughs> topped by I, I've seen this gear shift knob before on a, a 48 Ford 8 in tractor okay that's that's it's, the thing is just built like a tank um, I don't know what that lever is for other than maybe flaps or something I, I can't I, I, I can't was determine. wondering about brakes because I don't see anything could be approximating two yeah, brakes here. That, that could be that could be what it is it could be mm-hmm. brakes uh, I don't think the airplane has any flaps well if you look at the the wheels and there's a close-up of the wheels no, there's no flaps on that airplane Take a look at the airborne picture. There's no flaps there. There's no hinge line for plane flaps. Uh, no nothing. That's and I uh, you might be right. Flaps on the EAA one. Then. Yeah, you you might be right. Did you ever ride uh-huh. the EAA one at uh, at yeah. Oshkosh? I Several did. Times. I did one year. It's cool. Oh, well, did it have flaps? I that was a no. long time ago. I don't Jack, know. I know. I'll have to I, check I, again this year. I've shot it. Almost every year for the last twenty, I don't remember ever seeing flaps on it. And this yeah. picture yeah. doesn't show any. Yeah, when you when you ride the EA one, if you assuming there's nobody on that particular ride that knows somebody, um, if you happen to be in the right position in line, you get to sit in the right seat. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I didn't, I unfortunately didn't luck out, but uh, but that would be way cool. But still, just sitting in one of the passenger seats, it's just just quite a quite an experience. But, and so and there you go, Dave. Well, there's your new airplane. You've been looking for a new. You've been looking I, to replace I was your airplane. For that, but I was really kind of looking for something that was an instrument airplane. <laughs> uh, needle ball airspeed. You can fly this one on instruments. Oh, that's true. I, I, Once, I only have to add one gyro to uh, to know that I was upside down and destined to crash. Well, you'd, you'd uh, have to have an electrical system too. But you know, when you think about it. 60 gallons an hour is not terrible for an airplane that will carry about 12 people at 80 right. miles an hour. Well, well you know, 90. Yeah. 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 It can carry them slowly, but it will carry them. Check out the show notes. We'll put a link into the because the pictures are gorgeous. Whether or not you well, can and, afford and, to and, buy this thing, you got to look at the pictures. And, it's, and pay uh, close sh- attention to the – we haven't talked about it, and we won't now, but pay close attention to the shots of the internal structure. Right. It's just fascinating that they had that airplane broken down into parts that small stamping presses could put out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's see now. This is a story that's come and gone, but it really, really merits some note. Uh, what the heck happened to the NOTAM system? <laughs> right. One day last week, um, I, I, I think they didn't. I, I think they forgot to upgrade their software. But it, and so the NOTAM system just completely went away for a few hours, right? How long well, was the outage? Twelve. Twelve hours. Twelve hours, yeah. And and what and and so I didn't have occasion to fly during that and, time. And, and, Did either of you? We we can't no, blame Lockmart for this. Really? Well, first of all, let me ask you this. So so what's one to do here? You you can't get a legal briefing if you can't get at NOTAMs, can you? Well, that's technically correct. Um, yeah, I was going to say because if you fly. You know, taking things into your own hand and say, well, you know, what's the chances of me needing to worry about it? Right, and especially in this day and age. Yeah, and especially in this day and age, you don't. If you go out there and you stumble into a TFR, I bloody guarantee you, they're not going to be impressed by the idea that it was their system that was down that caused you to not get the note down. 
The regulation says the pilot, before takeoff, the pilot must familiarize himself, his or herself, with all available information, all available and relevant information to, on the flight. And, and that's not the exact John Yodish would argue that you couldn't be held liable because it wasn't available. Yeah. Because it wasn't available. So it makes it a legal briefing, but it still doesn't get you out from under the TFRs. Exactly. Exactly. What I guess what I would be concerned about or curious about, not concerned, but curious about, is, of course, there's <clears throat> the data, uh, the uh, XM weather um, <clears throat> data stream used in the Garmin 396 and 496 and, and a lot of other uh, um, airborne equipment, as well as, I'm sure, the WSI data stream includes uh, a graphic depiction of TFRs. Uh-huh. And I wonder if that um, uh, survived, if you will, and well, was available during this outage. I, that, I don't know that enough about That data is outage. published so far in advance. Yeah, that's true. That I believe that the only thing that would have suffered there would have been any TFR information that came out during that 12-hour period. Exactly right. Which was it a 12-hour period? Yeah, about that. That's, that's the reports that I've gotten from... Uh, uh, that's the reports I've gotten. I'm not going to say where. So someone yeah. someone needs to remind Lockbart that the PC Junior went out about no, 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 no. 24 this years not, ago. This apparently, this not, we, as much as we like was, to beat up on Lockbart, apparently this no, wasn't this, them. The, no, it's what this I said. FAA? said we can't we can't beat up on Lockheed Martin on this in the flight service station. Oh, so sure we can. It <laughs> yeah. was no, 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 not this time. It's our friends at the friendly aviation agency at 800 Independence. UCAP's favorite system. aviation agency did this. I'm shocked. Uh-huh. Shocked. I have a feeling that Mrs. Peters went to uh, Iraq and this, forgot to give him the, the, the log on. I don't geez. know. I, I'm just kidding. <laughs> they didn't feed the hamster. Maybe Something that's like it. That. So, uh, anyways. My worry, my worry would be when this happened, there was enough weather across the continent right. to make me think twice about flying with the possibility being that one of those NOTAMs was going to tell me that that ILS I was counting on being there at the arrival end wasn't going to be there. And, boy, what a shock it would be to find that out when I tried to dial it in. Now, the approach controllers would probably know, but that's a bloody long, well, the trips that I'm thinking of, it's a bloody long way to go and finally get in touch with an approach controller who knows that that ILS ain't working. Uh, so, uh, what's your intentions? Uh, jeez. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. That was planning on going to this place. Uh, <laughs> let me see what else I got handy here. Yeah. Is there another ILS within my reserve range? Well, you know, uh, there, that's interesting you say that. I had an episode like that many, many years ago. I had, I had flown a guy up into, uh, South Central Pennsylvania and uh, it was one of these rainy, overcast days. You know, we were talking last week about going up and doing practice approaches, and it was, it was kind of one of those days um, where um, um, it was low visibility. It was IFR basically both ways, and benign and, IFR. Uh, I'm sorry. Benign IFR. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I come, I flew the guy up to to Pennsylvania and, and uh, turned around, came back by myself, and I come smoking into the the Washington D.C. area in my little old one seventy two, and uh, I get vectored for the uh, the ILS to go back into Manassas, and and um, I'm droning along, and I basically hit the <clears throat> what I think is the marker and. Start my descent, and I, you know, glanced down at the ILS head, and I got both needles centered. And I said, "Wow, this is working out really good." And then I noticed the off flag, uh-huh. 
on the ILS indicator. Yeah. And I said, well, this is not good. So I immediately reverted to uh, a localizer approach and said, well, wait a second, I don't have a localizer, localizer either. either. So I called a missed approach and and got a vector from the controller. And, and uh, he's like, well, you know, what do you want to do? I said, well, you know, what I'd really like to do is get one of these radios to start working. And uh, I started seriously um, trying to find a frequency that all of a sudden this airplane decided it didn't want to receive. It didn't want to receive anything. I couldn't receive um, oh, boy. the ILS at um, 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 uh, Manassas. I couldn't receive a nearby VOR. The only thing I could receive uh, as I turned up the volume was try to, you know, trying to identify stuff. I could receive a local traffic reporter on, on an FM station. He was bleeding wow. through my headphones. And that was and I'm starting to freak out here. And the only thing I could receive is the um, the Vortac on the field at Dulles International. This was back I'm trying to think when this was. This was the late eighties. Um and Dulles was not nearly as busy then uh, as it is now. So it was it was still a pretty busy airport. And I said, look, you know, the only thing I can receive right now is Armel, uh, which is oh, the name yeah, sure. of Vortac on, on Dulles. And I said, I'm requesting the VOR approach into Manassas. Well, uh, as luck would have it, the VOR approach into Manassas basically takes you up to Dulles, turn around and come back from the north. And that would have been like a major uh, conflict with uh, the Dulles, uh, Dulles traffic. So the guy says, I can't give you that for, you know, 30, 45 minutes. Where do you want to hold? And I'm oh, sitting here thinking, well, um, and I'm looking at the, the fuel gauges and I'd flown up to Pennsylvania and I'd flown back and there was no fuel available at the, uh, the airport in Pennsylvania. And I'm legal to do this flight. The, I had the IFR minimums and, and everything else. But if I'm going to have to go hold somewhere for 45 minutes, uh, we're going to be down to men fuel by the time that 45 minutes comes up. Oh, that's no time to be trying out an approach. And, yeah, exactly. So I, and I chewed on that for a little while. And I said, uh, well, how about the ASR approach into Dulles? By, by this time, I'd given up on Manassas. Uh, how about the ASR approach into Dulles? Now, uh, ASR approach stands for Airport Surveillance Radar, and that's where they basically use the radar system to vector you to a runway, mm-hmm. vector you over the threshold at an altitude from which you can land. And uh, the controller came right back with, that's been decommissioned. Say intentions. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Yeah. And I, I'm about to say, all right, uh, use the E word. Right. and. I need to go to to Andrews where they still have the precision uh, the the PAR the precision approach radar, and get a vector basically down an ILS like approach to a runway. They throw me in jail. At least I'll be, still be breathing. I don't care at right. this stage. Uh, and I was just about to ask him for. They says he says stand by. He says uh, we'll make room for you. You're you're cleared such and such so and so, and uh, you're cleared for the uh, VOR approach. Uh, into Manassas, and I was like, you know, turn, descend, boom, 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 40, you know, I don't know, two and a half minutes later, I've, I've broken out on the approach. That was, it was that quick, mm-hmm. because I had just happened to be right there, and um, um, landed, and taxied in and shut down, and, you know, kind of sat there and <sighs> did yeah. one of those things, yeah. 
and and this I, I'd forgotten about that. That was a long time ago. But um, uh, the I, to this day, neither I nor the owners know what happened with that particular event. The only thing I can think of is uh, it, it was just a rainy, drizzly day, and it rained all the way up, and it had rained all the way back, and somehow I think some moisture fouled up um, the uh, antenna system in the oh. tail. Uh, and was I could not receive uh, uh, certain frequencies, the ILS frequency at Manassas among them, but I could receive uh, RML, and uh, there you go. Yeah. But uh, uh, yeah, it does happen. It does you, happen. You reminded me of a uh, trip into Juliet Victor Yankee, uh, Jeffersonville, Indiana, and it had been in and out of the junk since about mid-Missouri going over from Wichita. It's about a 600-mile flight. And there's an ILS where I'm going. And all the way across, I check with flight service, and, you know, it's in, in a comfortable range. You know, they're reporting 500, mm-hmm. 500 out, uh, ceiling, 700 to 1,000, back to 800. Uh, the men, there's 200. And so, I'm you know, I'm loving this. Mm-hmm. And... Louisville approach starts me out. You got to go way around this antenna farm and over toward the NAB VOR. I've seen that antenna get, farm. I know where you're talking about. You know where I'm talking about. And before you get to the NAB VOR, though, they can turn you to intercept the uh, the ILS at Jeffersonville, Clark County Regional. And I get the uh, I get the uh, the needle coming in, and they vector me to final and clear me for the approach. And I break out at about twelve or thirteen hundred feet, and still about a mile and a half out. Well outside the I'm well outside the item marker still, and I'm like happier than a, a pig in a sty until I see the thunderstorm and the lightning <laughs> obliterate the airport. Mm-hmm. And tell Louisville, I don't think I want to go there right now. So they send me out to the NAB VOR to the northeast to hold. And there's two other airplanes out there. Uh, go out there and, and hold a, a few turns, and they let one guy in, and they let me in. And the storm is just moving out as I get everything centered up, and I break out at about 700 feet, and I can see the storm a couple of miles to the east of the airport, and I'm good to go. And then I'm back in the clouds. And I never got an outer marker. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I'm not really sure what to do here, because the needles show that I'm, you know, I'm within, uh, uh, I'm up within about a needle width off center on both axes, but I'm well, cl- you know, I'm more than close enough that when I break back out, there should be a runway right there. Mm-hmm. And then I, there's no middle marker there, and then I get the inner marker. And it's like, oh, okay, cool. And I break out at about 275. It's like, thank God. Go in. About three minutes later, a King Air lands behind me. He taxis in next to me, ties, you know, he shuts down. We walk in together and uh, gets to the counter and said, uh, did you notice uh, the outer marker was out? That's what was wrong. I didn't get an outer marker. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was there a while ago because we had to shoot the mist a while ago, and it was there a while ago. Lightning had taken it out 
Thunderstorm fire, taking it out. 15 yeah. or 20 minutes, yeah. Yeah, yeah it and, can happen that quickly. Yeah, it can happen that quickly. And to this day, I'm not sure if staying with the uh, needles in the center was spec when I didn't get the outer marker. Well, if but you, when I got the inner marker, I was like, I'm almost here. And then, boom, yeah. I can see. Yeah. Nowadays, you know, there's a lot of approaches out there that don't have uh, marker beacons. The, the ILS at Manassas, to, to, to go back to Manassas, there, um, there is a middle marker, or there used to be a middle marker. I don't think there is a, a, to Manassas anymore. Uh, but there's no outer marker. Uh, you use a cross radial from Marmel. Um, to, uh, to to for certain step down fixes, but th- the punchline on all that is the ILS is designed. To, you know, if you follow the glide slope, you don't really need a marker. The marker, the yeah. middle marker, um, being the one which is approximating um, the position you should be at decision height. Um, but even then, um, uh, and of course, you still have, um, of course, the the um, um, <clears throat> Excuse me, the inoperative table, and you increase your your uh, um, altitudes, your decision altitudes uh, by such and such uh, an amount based on not having such and such uh, um, um, either air, in the sure. airborne equipment or uh, on the ground based equipment. Um, but I think that <clears throat> ultimately they've changed some of the rules, and maybe one of our listeners uh, is a bit more knowledgeable about this than I am. But I think that uh, over the years, some of these rules have changed, and Barker beacons are are not um, uh, in as widespread use as they used to be, and and in some cases, um, perhaps might even not be required as they used to be. I, I I'm not sure about that. Um, we know I, I that should not be, and, but I am. In for GPS that's why I'm kind of asking the questions. Yeah. 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 But. Uh, well, okay. But you're right. It can happen that fast. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, that marker was there for one guy. He went missed when he came back later. When I came mm-hmm. through later, like nowhere to be heard. And it confused me. That's the thing that uh, bothered me at the time was that I found myself in something that I hadn't anticipated. There was no NOTAM that it was out of service. And the guy that went in ahead of me, he didn't say anything on the frequency about not getting it. He was probably as confused as the rest of us. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. All right. Moving on. Um, moving on. Moving on. Um, we have an off-field landing of the week. Uh, we haven't had one of these in a while. Um, we actually had a bunch, but I'm going to push a bunch, few of them off till next week. But uh, we have a very straightforward land, off-field landing of the week. Uh, this is from uh, the newson6.com website, which apparently is a TV station in, you know, I I've said this before. I hate it when they have websites that don't tell where they're located. I know. Yeah. Uh, I know. But the, let's see if I can summarize this story real quickly. Reading a couple paragraphs from the middle here. The pilot of a small four-seat Cessna, Alan Braden, was on his way, way from Emporia, Kansas, back home to Houston to celebrate his wife's birthday. It turns out he can also celebrate being safe and sound. He, a quote from Braden, he says, God knows what she's going to say when she finds out where I'm at. Uh, Braden was, uh, he apparently was flying along at about 5,000 feet. Uh, he lost uh, oil pressure and uh, uh, radioed into uh, Tulsa International trying to get on the ground. There wasn't any airport, airport nearby. Uh, uh, and uh, which, which sentence you like? What's the quote? 
says he says after he called the Tulsa Tower and told him that that he was uh, he lost all oil pressure, uh, they told me to hold my altitude, and there was no way I was holding. <laughs> what, what kind of what what part of my engine quit or is yeah. dying? Don't you understand? Yeah. So he ended up landing on the southbound lanes of Highway 75. He said he didn't have any other option, and so he put it down on the highway. Uh, um, he they they had warned him about power lines. This is odd. To, I guess it worked. Whatever works. Huh? He, he, Braden was quoted as saying, "They told me about the power lines crossing the highway, so I got low, uh, which probably put me above a couple of cars and probably scared the hell out of them." Um, but uh, he's been flying for forty six. Suck years. it up, guys. Yeah. Suck it up. He's know. been flying forty six years. He set it down on the highway. He apparently clipped a sign uh, with a wingtip, but otherwise uh, did just fine. There's some pictures with the article that show. Uh, um, well, the cowling's off. I don't know if that's from damage, and then it shows them towing the aircraft up onto a truck or a trailer. The prop, the prop looks good. I'm sure the cowling was removed so you could look at the engine and figure yeah, out why he lost it. At that pressure. point, I would have been really curious about why the oil pressure went away. Yeah. Here's the, the second picture, though, shows him trying to load this this airplane on the on a flatbed truck, uh-huh. uh, basically a tow truck. Okay, and they back the truck up in front of the airplane, and it's it's one of these these um, uh, ramp style tow trucks that they the hydraulics you know uh, extend the ramp and then raise the front of the ramp and lower the thing down to the ground, and they're, apparently they're trying to winch the airplane up on the ramp, and I swear to God the tail's on the ground. Yeah, the really. Tail, yeah, it looks the tail like tied down its drag in the ground and that's just that's just abuse of a perfect otherwise perfectly good airplane that's right that's right well you know if if you're looking at replacing an engine putting a new tail tie down a ring on is nothing yeah that's right also for the story not even be looking at replacing an engine you know the oil pressure loss could have been a bad gauge you don't know if he's you don't know the airplane's not flyable that's true that's true you know so Anyways, also from the story, it says the Braden says this isn't the first time he's had to make an emergency landing in his 46 years of flying. He says 22 years ago he had to land on a neighborhood street in Houston. So he had some practice. He was he, he was checked out in landing on the streets. And, Good uh, for him. I guess he is, uh, he is street qualified. That's right. So yeah, congratulations so, on that. Uh, way to go, dude, Alan Braden, for getting down safely. That's good. That's good. Let's see now. Uh, we do. We're running. We're really, really reaching the end of our allotted times here. Um, do some shout-outs here. Um, I wanted to mention that uh, it, we, we've talked about this. We've hinted at this in the past, but now it's official. Uh, we will be doing two episodes of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast while we're at Air Venture this summer. Um, Boy. I was talking to uh, the co-chair of EA Radio, Farid Gio, earlier today, and uh, he was. Uh, it, it's very gratifying that they were very uh, happy to have us come back. Uh, we're going to use the same model we did last year. We're going to do one episode on Monday, the first day of AirVenture, right after the Daily Air Show, uh, and then we'll do another episode on Sunday morning, the final day, uh, probably around 10 o'clock. We'll pin that down a little bit later we on. We should do the Monday one from the uh, platform. Like we're going to we do both of them. Yeah, we'll day. do them both from the platform, although the, remember the problem with doing it from the platform on Monday evening was that that's when the rock concert is going on. And yeah, but we found out that the the the, the yeah. system there blanks out background modulation so well that that's true. We we shouldn't have to worry about foreign. Yeah, so we're we're gonna it's gonna be great and we're gonna we're gonna have a lot of fun with it. It's uh, like last year. Uh, it, we will be broadcasting this live on EA Radio. Uh, it will also be live on their internet stream, so you can listen to it anywhere in the world. That's just plain scary. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then uh, we will also package it up and put it on the uh, Uncontrolled Airspace uh, uh, podcast feed as well. So uh, it's uh, it's cool. We're looking 
forward to that. We had a lot of fun doing it last year, and uh, it's I I hope it can live up to the to to last year's uh, experience because it was pretty cool. Um, and we are and we are working out the details of Podcast Palooza two. Um, more on that later on. Looks like it's going to be Friday after Friday evening. Um, or late Friday afternoon of the air show week, but but more on that later on. Podcast a Palooza. Podcast a Palooza. Um, let's see now, uh, Dave. Do you want to go into this other uh, shout out here? And uh, actually, it's I moved it to be a shout out. Uh, the sixtieth uh, birthday of CAP. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's uh, shout out. It's fine. There, uh, all of our friends, uh, neighbors, volunteers uh, in the Civil Air Patrol. Uh, they're celebrating their 80th anniversary this month. Uh, for those of you that don't know, the Civil Air Patrol actually started out as a volunteer coastal patrol operation. Civilian pilots flying airplanes to look for German submarines. In 1941, this mm-hmm. started. Wow. And uh, 1948, it was uh, uh, transformed in to the auxiliary of the United States Air Force, which mm-hmm. was itself only a year old, and uh, has been helping with search and rescue and emergency relief and uh, uh, defense of the country uh, ever since. And they got a great cadet program for young people, introduce them to aviation, get them involved. Uh, a number of my friends here locally are involved with the local uh, Civil Air Patrol unit and uh, uh, say hi to them, congratulate them if you see them at Oshkosh. Uh, there'll be more than a few of them riding around on golf carts with little directional antenna practicing their uh, uh, radio tracking skills. That's right. Jeb, you're a Civil Air Patrol, aren't you, or used to be? Right? I used to be in Civil Air Patrol. Uh, was, um, I got my, did a lot of my primary training through them and uh, um, flown with some other squadrons since then. Mm-hmm. Uh, but and I yeah, was a CAP uh, cadet in high school. But really, yeah, really? when they told me my vision wouldn't ever let me fly for anybody like that, I kind of lost interest. Yeah, that's kind of where I was too. While we're on the topic of Civil Air Patrol, though, uh, we'll put another link in the show notes. And, and guys, yes. I already put it on tonight's show notes, uh, but I didn't ask you to refresh. Civil Air Patrol is uh, marketing some of its aircraft. Um, um, there's a, a link to a page on the CAP website. They're doing a sealed bid aircraft sale, and I've I didn't count them up. There's ten or twelve airplanes here, uh, in various locations around the country. Uh, they've got uh, good pictures. They've got specs, the equipment lists, um, minimum bid prices, uh, location, contacts, etc. Uh, on their on their website. Some of the prices are are not all that hot, but um, um, you know, here's here's a good, um, um, or at least uh, a, a collection of, of Civil Air Patrol aircraft that certainly are, are well used and should be, you know, in pretty decent uh, pretty decent condition. If someone out there is interested in in, uh, in trying to get a uh, a good airplane uh, for not a whole lot of money, as I say, some of these prices are a little uh, iffy in my book, but uh, uh, who knows? From what I've known of the CAP operation around here. Uh, airplanes were always very well maintained. Yeah, and the equipment in them works. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it can say that much in a favor. Uh, the 1980 Cessna 182RG that it's the top of the 62 grand. That's not terribly out of line with market right now. Yeah. 
Okay. Well, it is. It is unless you, if you don't consider the uh, airframe is. I mean, the engine. Excuse me, is way past overhaul. It's oh, way past one TTR. hour. One hour. Um. Okay. Yeah. You're right. I'm thinking. I'm thinking. Um, uh, Continentals. We'll that's, invite people to take a look at the list and yeah, uh, what know, see what's here. Yeah. And, make up uh, your own mind. But there's decent yeah. avionics equipment in them. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, some of them have damage history. Uh, and uh, you make your own decisions on them. But some of these prices, being somebody dream dream window shops periodically, yeah, uh, aren't terribly out of line considering the uh, the you know the time is fairly substantial on some of them. But considering the equipment, uh, these aren't uh, terribly out of line deals. Yeah. The, the, and a high time airplane doesn't bother me because that means it's been it's been uh, flown and that's the best thing you can do to help maintain an airplane that's right, is flying. That's, right. that's, that's a right. Good okay. thing for an airplane. Any other shout outs? Uh, I got I've got two very quickly. Um, one uh, to uh, John Thune. John is a uh, uh, DC area pilot. Uh, he accompanied me down to Sun and Fun uh, in two thousand five. And it uh, was a pleasure to be with. I had uh, sent a couple of emails to this uh, um, um, D.C. area pilots list uh, a few nights back. And, and John, just out of the blue, emailed me. says, I was listening to episode 82 when you, <laughs> you, when you sent that, those two emails. It was just good to hear from you and good to hear your voice and, and, and that kind of thing. And, and just a real quick shout-out to John. Um, another shout-out to a, a guest we've had on the podcast before, uh, Craig Barnett of uh, Scheme Designers. They're the, yes. the guys who will do uh, um, your uh, paint scheme for your airplane. Designs uh, some beautiful, beautiful airplanes. And he, does, he does great work, and he, he'll give you templates and, you know, uh, basically, literally, a, a, a turnkey operation. Uh, Craig's uh, really a class act in, in a lot of different ways. Uh, he has been a a uh, contributor uh one of my day job uh one of my day job tasks i should say is is putting together the um, used aircraft guide portion of aviation consumer magazine every month and uh we do a um a three view we call it uh, um of the various aircraft that we looked at that we're looking at each month in used aircraft guide and craig is always coming through with these great line drawings of of the aircraft that we we um, cover each month. And just a few days ago, <clears throat> I had I, I'd, I'd forgotten that I needed this three view from Craig for this particular aircraft type. And just I, I, I because it's such an obscure aircraft, it's a Myers two hundred. Okay. Oh yeah. Very obscure. There's like just over a hundred or so of them on the FAA registry uh, these days. And I emailed uh, Craig and I said, "Dude, you know this is a really long shot." I said, "I'm sorry to even be bothering you." I said, "You know, I know you don't have this, but on the off chance you do, could you send me one?" Thirty minutes later, I've got it in my inbox, and uh, I just thought that was just fantastic. And, and hats are, hats off to Craig and, and everything that he does. It's, yeah. it's really he's a cool guy, and we should have him on the podcast yeah. sometime, just because he has a lot of great aviation stories. He's, well, we've uh, had him on the podcast before. We'll have him on again. We had him on a Sun and yeah, Fun last was, year. That's right. He was on Sun and Fun number one um, for us. Number one for us. And but we'll uh, have him um, on again. But uh, we, we've all he's been part of our gang for dinner a number of times. And 
and uh, he's he's got a great aviation background. I guess his dad was a pilot, and uh, some great stories. So we should definitely have him. The thing that always impressed me um, about uh, in in terms of his uh, his work designing paint schemes is that you know, and and maybe this is just par for the course, but it always impressed me that he didn't just kind of look at your airplane, ask you what colors you like, and then give you a sketch. All right, he really understands the th- what a, an owner is going through and thinking when they're trying to decide about painting painting their airplane and so he really is able to kind of guide the the owner through the thought process and the thinking process of of selecting colors and selecting paint shops and and well, he, uh, doing the designs he, he uses a lot of uh, high-tech gear like 3d uh, rendering stuff to to mm-hmm. come up with sketches and uh, he, he really is he's much more than a great designer he really exactly. understands the process and that's he, he is he's found the niche here that you know no one else was really filling no one certainly is was filling it as well or as, or as with the kind of technology or as completely as Craig has stepped in and filled it. And, you know, it's just the, the real entrepreneur entrepreneurial spirit, and he's done just a magnificent job, and, and is just an all-around great guy, and, and uh, uh, there you go. You'll, you'll see his work without knowing that you're seeing exactly his work. Right. <clears throat> airplanes exactly right. Airplanes all the way up right. into the uh, significantly large business terminal. Well, I, I think he's realm. done... <clears throat> I think he's done every um, AOPA sweepstakes airplane since, I don't know, 2000. I know he did the 2001 Bonanza, and he's done every airplane since then. Mm -hmm. He's done a number of showcase paint jobs for some of the uh, business jet manufacturers. Exactly. So it's good stuff. It's good stuff. And uh, and, and and good designer and good people. Good guy. Yeah. Anything else? Any other shout-outs before we move on here? Not for I'm okay. out of shout-out. All right, then. Well, that's it for tonight. Uh, thanks to uh, Dave Higdon uh, for being with us tonight. Dave, of course, is an aviation photographer, a senior editor for Kit Planes Magazine, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. Learn more about Dave and his work at kitplanes.com, avbuyer.com, slash worldaircraftsales, or aea.net, or you can just Google his name and, and learn about all of his uh, his. That's great. the easiest but, uh, thing. But yeah. not DaveHigdon.com. Can't no. use that one. Not Can't yet. That one. Not yet. One of these days, that'll come back. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that before. And thanks to Jeb Burnside. Jeb is an aviation journalist currently serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Learn more about Jeb's wow. work at, yeah, I know, it's pretty impressive, huh? Uh, at JebBurnside.com, also AviationSafetyMagazine.com, and AvWeb.com. And uh, I am Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. Learn more about me and my work at JackHodgson.com or AroundTheField.net. And visit us all. Check out the forums and, and other things on the website at uncontrolledairspace.com. Love what you guys are doing with the forums. Please keep it up. Yeah, absolutely. So thanks, everyone, for joining us this week in the virtual hangar. And that's, that's enough talking. Let's go out and fly. And uh, we'll and talk remember, to you. Remember, time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. That's right. We'll talk to you all again next time. TTFM. Man, big news here. Big news here. What's that? My local liquor store now has eight varieties of lineys in the case. I see. Well, there you go. Man. Mine this only is... has like three, as I recall. Um, well, one of my, 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 my buddy, the Leprechaun. You've heard me talk about the Leprechaun from yep. Dead Cow. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Friday night going into Memorial Day weekend, uh, cell phone rings. Yeah. Hello. Hey, Dave. It's Earl. Yeah. What? What? 
I got an emergency. I need you to answer a question. Sure. Uh, yeah. An emergency? Yeah, sure. Whatever I can do. What's the name of that beer you're drinking? <laughs> That's what the leprechaun considers an emergency. <laughs> I said, uh, you mean Linen Kugels? Linies? Yeah, that's it. How do you spell that? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, and, it, you know, at that particular moment of the evening, after the particular entertainment of the evening, I had to go get a bottle out of the fridge. <laughs> spell it to him, yeah. Yeah, and now I've just noticed that the cap has the proper spelling of Linies, the shortened version. Oh, really? I hadn't noticed that. Yeah, I've been spelling it L-E-I-N-N-I-E-S apostrophe, but it's L-E-I-N-I-E-S, I-E apostrophe S. You'll recall so. after that I was saying after we finished last week's podcast, I had to go meet my friends and drink beer. Um, yeah. We ended up in the little little hotel bar downstairs, and surprise of surprises, they actually had Line and Kugel beer at the bar. Yeah. So on tap or a bottle? A bottle. I had I believe it was a honey wheat or something like that. And, oh yeah, that's that's nice. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, but and I was at it, and then and another line of Google story. So I'm at a little a restaurant. Where was I? Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. We're in this little restaurant on the ed, edge, right? Uh, it's on a deck overlooking the Susquehanna River. I think it is. All right. I have an idea where you're talking about. Okay, and uh, right across the river from Harrisburg, we're sort of on the far side of the river, and we're sitting there drinking beer, or we're sitting there looking at the menu, getting ready to drink beer, and I'm looking at their list, and I'm working my way down the list. And and they don't have lineys until I get down into the section of where they list imported beers. <laughs> and that's where Line and Kugel was listed. <laughs> so I had my Line and Kugel, my imported beer. Uh, oh, that's what they told me the first time I, I know. went into, into, that, into the liquor store. That's here. why it caught my attention. I remember that. I actually took a picture of the menu. I've got to put it on the website at some point. It's like, it's like uh, wow, when did you guys start carrying lineys? Carrying what? Uh, the Line and Kugels. Which one's that? Oh, these two right here. <laughs> yeah. Hey, guys. Higdon knows how to pronounce the name of that new import. 